welcome to the OCR Underground Show. Each week, you get the latest research, training secrets of top coaches, and everything you need to crush your next obstacle course race and finish burpee-free. Here's your host, SGX coach, Mike Diebler. All right, well, welcome to episode 44 of the OCR Underground Show. I am your host, Mike Diebler, and thank you so much for making this show a resource in your training program to help you train uh, smarter for your next OCR. As usual, we have another great episode for you. Uh, to see the show notes for this episode, any links mentioned in the show, make sure to visit www.ocrunderground.com slash episode 44. Well, it's uh, the holidays are just about over. Uh, New Year's is right around the corner. Hopefully you uh, have some fun plans to uh, spend with your friends and family, but uh, also you're finishing this year strong. Uh, to help you do that, I have two great resources that I wanted you to check out. One, I wrote a, a new blog post on lunging, and you may have seen our Instagram post. And if you don't follow us on Instagram, definitely check us out there and follow us at OCR Underground. And uh, with this, it's uh, I, I looked at, obviously there are a lot of mistakes you can make when lunging, but after working with hundreds if not thousands of, of individuals, I see some common mistakes. And some of these mistakes don't always seem obvious. And I want you to go to the show notes so you can check out the full article, but I'm just going to give you a quick summary of it. And in there, you're going to see some pictures of lunging. And, you know, at first glance, neither of them probably look wrong. You can just tell there's a difference in them. And uh, in the first picture, it's me lunging, taking a pretty big step. And in the second picture, it's taking a much significantly smaller step. And I think one of the biggest mistakes we see with people and lunging is overstriding, really taking these big steps. And when you do a lunge, um, when you take this big step, you're probably going to feel a little stretch. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing to feel the stretch, but when you overstride, you're going to get a pretty deep hip flexor and quad stretch. And when you do that, it's going to pull on your hips. And this is an issue for two main reasons. One, you're relying more on the stretch to do the exercise versus the muscles, right? So our muscles are like elastic springs or rubber bands. When you stretch, it tightens up. And, you know, sometimes we want to use this in our training like plyometrics so we can create more power and jump higher and things like that. But if we're trying to work on strength, we want the muscles to be out to be able to generate this force. And when you just stretch that muscle out and hang on that stretch, you're using more of that elastic component of the muscle. And um, that it, it's going to get you in trouble for kind of the next reason I want to talk about, and that is you're pulling on that joint. So we're pulling on our hips. And when you pull on the front of the hips with like your, your hip flexors and your quad muscles, it pulls the hips down and it pulls you into that extended spine or that anterior pelvic hilt posture. So now you have your spine in a bad position and you're lunging and you may be holding weight and loading your spine in a bad position. So we're in that hyperextended back while you're lunging. And when you take that big step, you're just more likely to get caught in that position. So those are the two big reasons that I highly recommend you take a smaller step. So um, check it out when you're doing your lunges. Do you feel that deep hip flexor stretch? If you do, try a little bit smaller. Right? And the, the ideal step is your heel of the front leg should be just a couple of inches in front of your back knee. right? So not like six inches, not a foot, just a few inches uh, away from that back knee and then stepping into the next step. And this might feel awkward. And I bet it's your, what you're going to notice is your quads are on fire a lot more because the muscles are actually doing more of the work and, and the power generation versus just the stretch taking over everything. So um, that kind of summarizes the article, but check it out so you can see what I mean in the pictures. Just go to the show notes and you can uh, click on the link there. The other resource I wanted to give uh, give to you guys is I am I'm sharing uh, these six 
self-test that I just created. And you you may have seen some of these before. It's not like I invented all of these things, but these were kind of six essential self-screens that you can do on yourself to kind of look at your your movement, your mobility, your stability, and see if you have any big red flags that maybe should pay attention to and, and change up your programming a little bit. Now, with the new year starting, I know everybody's going to get extra motivated and, and really push themselves this January. And <clears throat> you should not be starting a program with super hard, high intense workouts unless you've cleaned up all of these fundamental things. So I, I show in these six videos, simple things you can do to just kind of clear any big issues that might be uh might be occurring in you and and avoid any injuries down the road now we can't prevent every single injury from happening but if you can improve the quality of your movement there are so many things you can avoid or at least reduce the risk of, of getting hurt especially when you start loading up on exercise and high intensity work and races and all of these things so i want you to check out these these self tests now <clears throat> I, I i made these up but obviously working with a coach is going to be uh, the fast way to get through and, and recognize your weaknesses and go from there. So, and you're gonna see, uh, if you're familiar with the functional movement screen, there's obviously a strong influence there. Now I am an FMS coach, and if you're if you're a coach listening to this and you're not FMS certified, it's something I, I highly recommend you go check out. And if uh, you're looking for somebody to help you out, you can go to the functional movement uh, website and actually find a coach in your area that will do some of the, or we'll do a functional movement screen and help point out some issues that you may be looking at and, and give me some ideas on how to correct them. So obviously that would be the ideal situation, but I know maybe there's somebody not near you or you, you just want to get something done quick and uh, financially you can't do it right now, whatever it might be. So um, I put these six tests together to help at least give you something. So I don't want you to just jump into your workout without looking at some of these fundamental movement patterns. So looking at range of motion, looking at your your balance, your stability, um, your breathing, uh, some really cool things in there for you to uh, check out. So again, go to uh, the show notes and you can uh, get access to all the videos there. And actually with the year coming to an end, uh, not only is it the new year, but it's also my birthday is coming up. And with these six tests, I actually created a, uh, a program to help if you had any issues with them. And it's my Unbreakable Warrior program, really with the, the name says it all, trying to help you become unbreakable. So when you start pushing yourself, when you hit these hard workouts, when you have back-to-back races, your body is ready for it and you can handle, handle it. So I, I walk you through, hey, if you had an issue with this test, then the, the breathing test, then here are the exercises you're going to do. If you had an issue with the um, the knee hug test, here are the exercises that you're going to do. So it's very simple, easy to follow. Um, so to celebrate my 37th birthday coming up, you can get this program for just $37. And it's really cool. You actually get all of the, the uh, correction drills, not just the ones you have issues with. So you can kind of see the whole process from all the, the six tests there. So at least check out the assessments, see how you do. You may pass them. And if you if you pass every single one of them, then obviously you're you're on the right track and you can you can, you know, I've always proceed with caution, but you're gonna be able to take on more than somebody that fails one or, or multiples of these tests. So I at least if I'm gonna provide the test, I wanted to provide you with a, a solution just in case you guys had some issues there. So again, go to the show notes and you can get links to all the uh, the test and the Unbreakable Warrior program uh, all there. Okay, so let's move on to this week's episode. In our research review, I'm going to explain why Twitter might actually be hurting your racing performance. 
I know that might sound weird, and really it's nothing against Twitter, but hopefully this has you a little bit intrigued and you want to find out what am I talking about and what does Twitter have to do with your OCR racing. So definitely keep listening for our research review. And then in our SGX Coaches Corner, I have on Coach Matt Boback from Power Compact Fitness. And uh, Matt gets into uh, great detail on a lot of his training styles and uh, his beliefs. And he actually gets into some of the biggest mistakes he feels that people make when they first start training for uh, a Spartan race or other OCR. He's going to give some of the insight and secrets on how he went from kind of a middle of the road, middle of the pack finisher to actually finishing fifth place at the world championships in his age group in 2016. He gets into program design and what a balanced program actually consists of. He gets into his uh, keys for improving mobility and, and why mobility and so is so important and actually talks about some things about foam rolling which I know we've talked about in the past but he actually gets into some reasons why he doesn't like foam rolling so really interesting there and then he's also going to finish up with his uh, top nutrition and recovery strategies and actually he's going to give his kind of uh, secret into one of his uh, number one things that he uses for enhancing recovery and actually improving sleep all right so as always awesome show for you today so let's get right into it all right well it's time for our research review and we're going to talk about how twitter might actually reduce your performance i know that sounds kind of weird and why are we talking about twitter but i was flipping through one of the latest um, editions of the idea fitness journal and came across a study on nba players and actually Researchers followed 90 NBA players and watched their Twitter activity from 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. the night before a game, and they wanted to look at those that were tweeting late at night. How did that affect their performance? And so this study was essentially looking at sleep patterns. So if you're up late tweeting, you're not sleeping, you're not resting, and you most likely not getting a good night's sleep to perform better the next day. Um, the interesting thing is they found that those that were up later tweeting actually saw a lower shooting percentage and on average scored uh, less points, which is pretty interesting. But um, I just want to bring this up, and I know I've talked about sleep before, but a lot of times we, and I'm guilty of this too, where we start talking about some of the the little things, the the supplement, the different training strategies, and and all these little things that do add up and will definitely help you. But sometimes we forget those those big rocks that we need to focus on. And sleep is the biggest, right? If you're not getting a good night's sleep, all the nutrition, the supplement, those aren't getting the full benefit that they could be getting. It's like driving around and you have this awesome fast car, brand new engine, uh, tons of horsepower, but you have the emergency brake on the whole time, right? Yeah, you might be um, moving and, and plugging along, but how limited are you with that brake on? And that's essentially what we're doing when we don't get a full night's sleep. And uh, I, like I said, I know I've talked about this before, but I want this to be practical. So Probably no big surprise, right? If you're up late, playing on your phone, tweeting, going on Instagram, Facebook, whatever it is, and you're not getting the amount of sleep that you need, then your workouts are going to be affected, your your job's going to be affected, everything's going to be affected. So this is just your, your nice friendly reminder that you need to be focusing on good quality sleep every night. And you know, I'd be lying if I say every single night I got a full night's sleep, but what I try and do is if I do have a bad night, 
and sleep tracking is something that I personally do. I track uh, my sleep every single night so I can I can see how many hours I'm getting. I can see the quality of sleep, how much time I'm waking up, all these different things. And there's lots of different apps and, and different activity trackers that you can use for that. But I have an idea of when I have a bad night, hey, I know the next night I really need to make up for it and I need to do everything possible to get to bed early. I do wake up early in the morning, so I need to make sure that I, I get to bed early those nights. And then if possible, when the weekend comes, I extend my sleep then, right? So we we have something called sleep debt, right? Where you, you miss a couple nights, you, you don't get your full night's sleep, that starts to add up after a while and you do need to pay that back, which you can. So getting an increased amount of sleep on certain nights is actually going to help pay back any any um, sleep deprivation that you may have there. So as always, I want this to be practical. When we talk about research, I want you to be able to take things home. And, and I know getting more sleep is nothing new, and some people might really struggle with this, and you might be one of them where you, you just have a hard time getting that sleep. So um, actually in the same article, there was a, a list of some some strategies, some tactics you can try to help get a better night's sleep or just some new habits that hopefully you can implement. So I just wanted to kind of go through some of them that might might help you out. So obviously number one is trying to get that, that, that seven to nine hours of sleep per night. Yes, there's no magic eight hours of sleep. Everybody is going to be different, but somewhere in that range is probably gonna be ideal for you. So that means knowing, hey, what time do you need to wake up um, so I need to get into bed, you know, at least nine hours before that, if I'm going to have a chance of getting that, that full night's sleep there. Uh, another big thing is try and go to bed and wake up pretty much the same time every day if possible. Now, I know that might be difficult for some people depending on your schedule, but if possible, really try and get to bed the same night, try and get up around the same time. That means, yeah, on the weekend, maybe not sleeping all day, um, but unless you are trying to make up for some of that sleep. But again, get into that routine where you're trying to uh, go to bed, get up roughly the same time. Uh, if you are going to take naps throughout the day, that's totally fine and actually a great way to uh, make up some sleep. But just be careful because, and I'm sure you felt this before, if you, if you push it too far and take a long nap, you kind of wake up feeling just groggy and worse off than when you went to bed. So try and keep those power naps short to around 30 minutes or so. Um, another big thing that people have an issue is just falling asleep in general. So if you're laying in bed and just staring at the ceiling or your mind's racing, you might want, and you don't fall asleep in the first 15, 20 minutes of laying down, you might want to actually get up and go do something, just a mundane task, uh, get around, um, clean something up, move something, just walk around the house, anything, just you're not falling asleep and the more you lay there, and I know you've felt this before where you just lay there and you start thinking about not being able to fall asleep and you just get stuck in that that cycle and that trap. So just get up, move around, do something, and then go back to bed, try it again and see if that helps you out. Maybe even get up again if it doesn't work in the next 15 minutes, but something like that might actually help you out. Uh, obviously a big one, trying to avoid alcohol or caffeine uh, in the hours before bed. If you're going to do those things, try and keep it away from bedtime as much as possible. Uh, and other things in, in like TV, eating, uh, working, reading in bed. Although reading in bed sometimes, I know if I, if I start reading a book in bed, a lot of times I just pass out and read the same sentence over and over again until I fall asleep. Uh, but a lot of times any type of mental activity and mental stimulation like an iPad or phone or television might actually cause some some issues there. Plus there's the, the lighting 
uh, that might actually cause uh, the melatonin melatonin levels to um, be disrupted and and affect your sleep as well there. So uh, just try and keep bed for for sleeping and um, watch out any other activities that you might be doing that might be affecting your sleep there. Another big thing is keeping your room cool when sleeping. So your body temperature does drop before bedtime. So you want to make sure you keep the room cool. And uh, again, I know this may or may not be possible, but windows open, fan on, air conditioned if, if necessary. But try and keep it a little bit cooler in the evening. And that actually will help you, one, fall asleep faster and get a better night sleep. Um, obviously, watch fluids. If you're drinking a lot before bed, you're, you're going to wake up have to go to the bathroom, and you may have issues falling back asleep. So uh, get your fluids, get your water throughout the day, but just try and get it earlier in the day so you're not up all night. Um, relaxation techniques before bed. So breathing always comes to mind here. So just thinking about taking deep breaths. I've mentioned in previous podcasts, four, seven, eight breathing, where we just take uh, four seconds to inhale, Hold your breath for seven seconds, exhale for eight seconds, and you just keep cycling through that. Uh, that's a great relaxation technique or just anything where you're just focusing on diaphragmatic, slow nasal breathing uh, just to help stimulate the parasympathetic nervous system and to help you, you fall asleep. Um, kind of along the same lines, if um, I mentioned before, if you kind of have that mental stimulation where maybe a million things are just running through your mind, your to-do list, all the things you're going to need to do the next day, whatever it might be, sometimes it's just a great idea to have a, a, a brain dump where you just have a, a notepad by your bed and you just write down everything you're thinking about, everything you need to do. Just get it out of your head, right? Just just try and get it on a piece of paper and you can worry about it tomorrow and you don't have to think about it right now because the, the more you start thinking about stuff, the less likely you're you're going to fall asleep. So um, those are the main points they brought up in this article. So I just thought it they were all very practical, simple things you can do uh, to help get a better night's sleep. And, you know, whether it's for race day or um, just for uh, training, we want to do something to really focus on that sleep. So try some of those techniques out and hopefully it helps you get a better night's sleep so you can train hard and race hard the next day. All right, what's up everybody? Welcome to the Coach's Corner. And this week I have SGX coach Matt Boback on from powercombatfitness.com in Illinois. Uh, Matt was a former wrestler turned fat guy turned OCR athlete and coach. Uh, Matt started racing as a non-runner, which I can definitely relate to, uh, but through his training education went from a mid-pack runner to actually finishing fifth in his age group at the uh, world championships in 2016. Matt, using a wide range of knowledge and experience in nutrition, strength, endurance, and performance, has worked with his clients to help improve their performance and is even going to be releasing a new website, new book, which we'll get into a little bit more later in the interview. But Matt, welcome to Matt, welcome to the Underground. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me. Uh, so glad to have you on here. And uh, we're going to talk about some great stuff. But let's just jump in real quick. For those that don't know a ton about you, um, just let us know a little bit about yourself and how you got into OCR racing. Well, I uh, I, uh, I opened a, a gym uh, back in 2013. It's, it was my uh, second uh, go at uh, owning owning a gym. Uh, the first one I, I focused on, uh, first gym that I had, I focused on MMA and wrestling and and primarily 
entirely, just a little bit of, of fitness. Um, we moved to California and then eventually moved back to the Midwest. And that's when I opened my second gym. And it was probably six months into owning the gym. One of our clients came up to me and said that he had just done a race in Monterey, California. And he was talking about, I don't know, carrying buckets of rocks up the side of the mountain and his legs were gashed apart and he was crawling through barbed wire, you know, the typical thing you'd hear somebody that is doing a Spartan race would, would be describing to somebody. And I'm like, man, I said, that sounds like hell, but it sounds like (laughs) fun. I got to know more about it. And so, uh, so then we found out there was a, a race at Miller park and uh, Miller Park Brewer Stadium in Wisconsin coming up in a couple months, and uh, and so we had we we got a couple people together and and went for it. And uh, ever since then, I was so bad at it <laughs> that I just you know the wrestler in me was I love to compete. I just was like, oh my god, I got I got to keep doing this because it it just it sucks so bad, and I was horrible. Um, <laughs> Is like you, I'm not. I'm not a runner. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think uh, in the training process, when we when we started, when I was training for the race. I I think the first mile that I ever ran in like 20 years, it was like a 13 or a 14 minute pace. <laughs> I was on the side of the road puking. So, um, but yeah, it's been it's been fantastic journey. It's been been go ever since. Awesome. Yeah, I, I can relate. And, you know, I have a similar story where uh, I never was into the obstacle course racing when it first started, mainly because I just didn't know enough about it or what it involved. And same thing, client came up to me, and then another client came up to me, and then another. And it was like, I don't think I'm going to like this, but I have to do it because so many clients are asking me, and I'm probably missing out on a bunch of training and, and clients I can work with. And then did it uh, and loved it and, you know, just went from there. But, um, so you've worked with a ton of clients. You've had a couple gyms. So let's get into a little bit on your your training and your philosophies. So, what do you think the biggest mistakes you see people making when they either first start training for an obstacle course race, or maybe even after they have a couple under their belt? Like you just constantly see and say, "Hey, maybe think about it this way." Well, I, I think I think it can be divided up a couple different ways. Um, you know, it just depends on what your background is. I mean, if you are a a runner, typically somebody who is a runner that, that starts out in OCR, you know, they've already had that, you know, built-in um, running ability that they've been training for years. And so they, they tend to, what I've seen with some clients is they tend to forget about the running a little bit and then focus on you know, the grip stuff, you know, um, carrying buckets and, and, and jumping over stuff and, and, uh, climbing ropes and stuff like that. And it's not, it's not a bad thing to do. Um, but they also kind of neglect that, that piece of the puzzle because I think that they feel comfortable with their running ability. So they neglect that a little bit. Um, and then vice versa, somebody who doesn't run is training for an obstacle course race you know, may have never run a mile in their entire life. So the emphasis is typically just solely on the running and then they forget the other piece of the equation. So I think that with, with training, there always has to be a balanced approach. Um, you know, you have the diehard athletes, um, you know, 
that are running elite and competitive um, that are focused on in season, off season, preseason training, uh, which is fine. Um, and it's what everybody should be doing, but people that are just doing it for the first time, just got have to learn to have some fun with it. Mm-hmm. And I think taking a step back and not getting so worried about the actual race, cause it's going to be brutal. Mm-hmm. You know, you know that it's going to be brutal, whether you're a seasoned athlete or, or just a beginner, it's just going to be brutal. But I think probably the biggest, you know, the biggest mistake that people make outside of the training is just not approaching it, that this is going to be a fun experience for them. Yeah. And I think that's great advice. Cause a lot of people, one, won't do a race like this uh, because of maybe fear, like fear of the unknown, that they're just not sure yeah. what they're going to get into. Um, but often it, I like to look at just do that first race, and that's just your test. Go have fun. You miss every obstacle, so what? Like go see what you do well at because you might surprise yourself and you might find out that you can do monkey bars. You never thought you could, but you know maybe you have the grip strength or you, you're great at flipping tires or carrying stuff or whatever. You hit the spear. I'll be super jealous if you hit it on your first try, but <laughs> right. um, you, you never know. You might just have a natural ability there, and you're going to feel awesome when you do it and, and um, really learn more about yourself. And a lot of times that's what these races are, is just trying to figure out what you're good at, what you're bad at. And then you can take that knowledge that you have now and start looking at, okay, it, you know what? I couldn't run it, so I need to up my running. Or, no, my running was good, and I can't carry anything so again like you said i think that balanced approach is definitely the way to go there yeah and i think i and you probably can you know you probably recognize this too is that i think that generally in general most people want to be challenged and i think that i think that's what attracts them to any you know a spartan racer tough mutter is that a general attraction like this is going to be the hardest thing that they may ever do and then they do it and it is actually what it you know they feel that you know during the race and then they they get they get sucked in and are attracted to continuing that journey is always constantly being challenged so yeah yeah actually that's a great point we we had our 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 studio holiday party this past weekend and um talking to one of my clients and she's never done a spartan race and she just uh you know working on her fitness lose a couple pounds and we were sitting there talking and you know just came in conversation i'm like hey would you ever do one and she's like you know i i think i would do it like and her reason was i actually it's not the spartan you know it's it's not that like i don't she didn't want that lifestyle you know do a million right. Spartan races, but she was like, I like to challenge myself. And that's, I, that's something I know would challenge me. So I think we convinced her that in a couple drinks, uh, convinced her to sign <laughs> up and that, always and, and that might be the only one she does, or she might, you know, catch that bug and, and do more, but this just might be one thing in her life that's going to challenge her, see what she can do and then go from there. So that's a, a great point. But, um, sure. going back to your balanced approach that you talked about, I just think this is a good thing to, uh, kind of let our listeners know because every coach is going to have their own idea of what balance is so what do you think and i know there's lots of different different things we can train but if you just had to summarize maybe top three top five things that hey if you want a balanced program to train for an obstacle course race include these these things here sure um well on the on the on the on the running side of of things um i think you know 
depending on the race and where it's at, but just <clears throat> just assume it's let's just, just assume it's a Southern California race. Um, uh, any any race is going to fall into this category, but I think it's important that you always have uh, hill repeats in your in your training, uh, and I think this is where you're going uh, as far as exercises go. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the hill hill repeats and intervals uh, are, are hugely important um, because you know. It, for most of the Spartan races that I've been to, uh, I mean, you have elevations anywhere from 1,500 feet to 4,500 feet. Mm-hmm. So you're going to see hills, period. Yeah. Um, but I also think that uh, I also think that, that speed work is is important. Um, you know, doing uh, mile repeats or half mile repeats uh, and giving yourself an adequate recovery. Uh, in between those, um, speed work is, is also going to allow the body to, you know, run at a faster heart rate and a pace over a given period of time. And, and without it, it's, it's kind of hard to get any faster. Mm-hmm. Um, also, you know, a, a, a long, slow runs and, um, the common mistakes that I see, Uh, clients do is that their runs when they go and they train for a race you know they're doing the same five miles every day or the same three miles every day and it's at the same pace Mm -hmm. um and it's usually not that slower pace it's usually an all-out pace Mm -hmm. um and so and so i think you know i'm sure you know the importance of of uh long, slow distance running, building an aerobic base is important. Yeah. On the, on the other side of things, um, you know, I, I, there's, you know, so many components, so I'll I'll try to be as brief as possible because I know you don't have, I know you don't have that much time, but, um, you know, on the, you know, obviously doing things, uh, with grip work, um, and heavy carries. I mean, I, I like to lop those, those two in the same bucket. Um, and anytime that you're doing grip work, um, I always think that you should do it in a fatigue state. Um, because if you're in a race and you're doing an obstacle, whether you're climbing a rope or maybe doing a rig or a multi-rig, um, you're always going to be in a fatigue state. So, um, just as a personal preference, as a coach, I have all my clients doing their grip, um, work in a fatigue state. Um, and then, uh, third thing I would say is, is legs, legs, and then mobility, with the lower body, posterior chain, um, glutes, hamstrings, quads, uh, foot and ankle mobility is extremely important. Um, so if you have uh, a good program or a good coach, I would, I would really strongly advise anybody to, uh, to ask their coach about doing some foot and ankle mobility work, um, because we are not on the nicest of terrains when we race. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, just touching back on, on some of the things you talked about, the running, I, I couldn't agree more. And we've talked about this on previous episodes with uh, uh, having that variety in there and, and having low intensity and high intensity and not being kind of stuck doing the same thing over and over again. I know for myself, uh, for a while, I'd get stuck in, and just doing that same run, you know, the same course. And even if I did mix up high and low intensity, it was always the same terrain. It was always the same course and, and mixing that up. Um, so totally agree there. And I, I love the fact that you just talked about that, uh, heavy carries and grip with fatigue. Uh, we actually were just working on that in our last, uh, XGX class that we did where we were doing, um, sled pushes 
you know, get the heart rate up, get the legs fatigued. And then we'd head outside and do long farmer's carries. And, um, that pair, such a simple thing, but it's going to go such a long way. And then actually like rope climb, obviously you have to be careful, you know, with something like this, but I love doing that in a fatigued state. And we typically do that towards the end of our workout. Once they've mastered the, the skill and the technique that I know they can do it, but just to make them realize, Hey, and the last few races I've done, the rope has been one of the last obstacles. And it's like, you're going to be right. beat up. You're not going to want to climb this rope. If you're relying on your arms to, to climb up it, you know, you, you might be totally screwed. So, um, right. So awesome. So I, I think those are three perfect things that everybody could get a lot out of there. Uh, I do want to uh, touch on mobility a little bit because I, I do love that topic. And sure. uh, yeah, like you said, the foot, the ankle, I think that does get neglected by most people. Um, what what are some of your strategies that you would might work with yourself or with a client to help uh, improve? Uh, you know, we could talk about the ankle, but just in general that you're using to help improve mobility. Well, you know, I I, th- I think for for myself and, and and a lot of a lot of clients, um, I I find that the areas of focus as far as mobility goes for us is 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 usually typically let's if we talk specifically about obstacles um mobility in the shoulders um and spending a lot of time in increasing your range of motion uh, of the shoulders um because we know you know if you are whether you're just doing the race for fun but if you're doing it competitively um maybe you're running an age group or you're running the elite Having poor shoulder mobility could be the difference in five, 10 minutes of your time from a simple fall off of a multi-rig because you have, you know, weak shoulder mobility. Um, but the other part of the mobility areas that I like to focus uh, on is is the posterior chain. Um, and, and you can kind of plug that in and, and say the core, um, but really your core is not... It's not the front. It's not the six-pack abs. It is your glutes, your hamstrings, um, your low back. And so I think spending a lot of time uh, doing mobility exercises, um, especially in the posterior chain, strengthening that core is going to improve a lot of things like we have – most people have lazy glutes, right? Um, and when you strengthen glutes through mobility exercises, like, you know, single leg RDLs, um, you know, which, which is an important exercise that I have all my clients do, uh, isometric holds for your lower back, which can not only help you as the race drags on and you get in those deep, deep miles, you know, let's say 13, 14 miles. Sometimes a lot of people have suffered low back pain, therefore they can't climb or descend properly. Um, but having isometric holds is also going to help you with exercises like sandbag carry or, or obstacles like sandbag carry or bucket carries too. So shoulder mobility and then posterior chain mobility are, are very important for us. Awesome. Cool. And uh, so are you kind of a, you know, static stretching guy, active stretching, foam roll, everything? Yeah, no, I actually hate. Yeah, I actually hate static stretching. Um, I uh, and, and and to be honest with you, I am not a huge fan of uh, foam rolling uh, either. I uh, as far as static stretching goes, I, I usually the way that I work it is 
is I wait till my my pain thresholds reach about a seven or an eight, and they don't get there too often before I implement any long static stretching strategies. And it's always usually typically done in the evening. Um, I won't do any static stretching in the morning. And the reason I do that is if you think about, um, I don't know if you, you get massages, but I'm sure a lot of our, our listeners do, but you know, how good you actually feel if you get a massage and it's been six months. So, I mean, I think that that is the kind of the concept that has always worked well for me and my clients is because if we stretching every single day, you know, we're making this, this, this rubber band, right. Uh, our, our fascia, our connective tissue, our collagen, we're making it very pliable. And then we go out and exercise and we, we bring it all back together and it just bounds up and then we stretch it. So even for those people that, uh, are getting, and there's a number of studies that have been done on this, but even in these people that are getting ready for a race, uh, we don't want our body to be over responsive to, uh, to certain things because the body then doesn't protect itself, uh, the best way possible. So I try to limit any static stretching, especially before exercise. Um, and as foam rolling goes, uh, there's there's the right way to do foam rolling and there's there's probably the wrong way to do foam rolling and it, and it's really should be trigger point therapy um, and I'm not sure what your beliefs are on that but um, you know crushing your fascia on a daily basis um, you know it, I feel that it tends to break down uh, muscle tissue and you know in it and it it kind of De degenerates the 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 uh, durability of our muscle tissue. So I don't deploy a lot of foam rolling, but I do do it on occasion. All right, cool. Yeah, and, and that's why I like doing these interviews because everybody has different opinions. Um, and I, I've talked about stretching and foam rolling before on on previous episodes, but I, I do like I like a little bit of everything. L like you said, I, I am a, or I am a fan of foam rolling, but I do think people can overdo it for sure. And I I don't think the goal of foam rolling is to keep progressing to the next harder object, which a lot of people. They start with a foam roller, and then it's a PVC pipe, and then it's a bar, and then it's you know spikes. Or right, right. I, I like foam rolling because I feel it, it improves circulation. At, but I don't think you need crazy, crazy amounts of pressure. You know, there's some discomfort when you do it, but I just like uh, moving that tissue around as as you know a form of self massage. I don't think it's the only thing you should do. I think it's one piece of this big puzzle uh, to help improve mobility. But um, I. I agree that there are right and wrong ways to do it, but um, so building off of that, so what do you? What is your go-to then? If you know a little bit of static stretching, foam rolling on occasion, what do you typically gravitate towards? If you know somebody has tightness in posterior chain, uh, what types of drills would you do, for example? Yeah, so um, so there is um, there is a a lot of uh, foundational exercises that I have. Uh, of clients do. Um, I mean, I guess the, I guess the, the way that I can say this is the, the best way for, um, to fix a lot of issues that I've always found is, is, is strengthening, whether it's, you know, the posterior chain and stuff like that. And, and I have, you know, and I have my own personal experiences. I've, I've had a 
two herniated discs for you know a couple of years. Um, and so one of the things that I do on a every day-to-day basis, um, I do this stretch. It's called an Edola stretch, um, and it's basically an L5-S1 stretch. And it get so it's basically if I know you, nobody can see me at home, but it's <laughs> it's uh, it's I lie on my back and I put my feet straight up on the wall so that my body looks kind of like in an L shape, um, in, internally rotate, uh, my hamstrings, toes pointed down towards my mouth. And I'm looking right in between my legs with my arms out, stretched out and, uh, palms facing down. So what it does is it just kind of gives my spine that, that little bit of spacing. So you get good blood flow and, and nerves are firing the way that they're, they're supposed to. Uh, and I will tell you, I do that in the morning. I actually have my clients do it once in the morning and and once in the evening. Um, but as far as other things that we do, whether, uh, somebody is, you know, if they have, let's just say they have a, a low back issue. Um, I, I will do what's called, uh, some core foundations. Um, and so it's just different movement patterns with a lot of, um, isometric or static holding of certain positions that, that might be uncomfortable to the person, but it's allowing the body to be either flexed or extended, um, for a long period of time while holding that position. So, um, you know, so couple different things else that I do. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of band work. Um, I, I brought it up before about, um, doing single leg RDLs. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I figure if you can deploy a number of different techniques and kind of build this, you know, structure, this, this human body, uh, to get stronger then we, we often don't, you know, we don't see as many injuries, uh, as, as we normally would if, if we weren't doing anything. So cool. Yeah. And cool. I, and I, I've done some of these stretches that you're talking about and, um, th- they're hard. I mean, these are, these poses that you're in yeah. are, um, you have like a million different things to think about and like tightening here, lengthening here, relaxing here. Um, I'll try and, uh, find some videos. I don't know if you have any to kind of, yeah, explain. there's a, well, there's a, there's a, there's a book, I think it was, uh, by Dr. Eric Goodman. Um, oh, and I, and it, and it escapes me, but it's called core foundations. So I'm, I'm sure anybody can Google core foundations and just kind of follow, uh, Eric Goodman's, uh, 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 trail down and and he's got a lot of uh foundational exercises uh for the core um you know there's so many different things that you can do with the posterior chain um that you know as trainers that we don't normally think of but uh this guy's top notch um and he's he brings a wealth of knowledge and experience i think he's a is a chiropractor former chiropractic but he's all about movement patterns Awesome. Awesome. So I'll, I'll find all these and I'll put them in our yeah. show notes for, for people to find them easier. Um, uh, it's kind of building off of this. Well, I, I want to finish up talking a little bit about nutrition. I know you're uh, precision nutrition certified and yeah. this is a big part of your program. Uh, so let's, let's specifically talk about, um, with recovery. So obviously nutrition is going to be a big part of this. What, what are some of your biggest recommendations in terms of nutrition and recovery? Well, as far as as far as nutrition goes, I uh, yeah, 
I, I told you earlier, I think you had read at the beginning of the show, is that, um, you know, I, I was a, a former fat guy. I, uh, I, was a, I was a college wrestler, at, and I wrestled 134 pounds in college. And then um, within a couple of years, I, I, I gained 100 pounds. So I was, I was pushing close to 250. And uh, now I walk around about uh, 145. And so during the process of, in my experience with nutrition, I have – and I, and I and I always, uh, whether I'm writing a meal plan or a nutrition plan uh, for myself or my clients, I'm always doing the actual meal plan before I give it to my clients because I want to know what's what's the response of the body. And the best advice I can give for anybody that is looking to be a serious athlete um, or at least uh, fairly competitive in obstacle course racing is the first thing I would do is, is to clean up your diet is get rid of processed foods, uh, particularly dairy. Um, I'm, I'm not a fan of dairy. Um, and, and get, obviously get rid of processed foods, um, which, which is kind of a no brainer. Um, but I went about a month and a half, two months ago, uh, I did something that I said I would never do, and that was give up meat and dairy. So I went, I went vegan, <laughs> and uh, and I and I and I said that was like I said I will never give up uh, meat. I'll never give up dairy, and I did it. And I can tell you that the change um, in my body's inflammatory responses, those little aches and pains, and things that I have normally kind of baffled me in the past that I've had to do uh, some mobility or some foundational work to get rid of those aches and pains is completely gone. Um, uh, I, I increased um, my fat intake a little bit. My protein intake was is, has been a little bit higher, uh, but it's all been plant-based. Um, and so I don't get the inflammation that I used to. And so I walk around with a lot more clarity um, and I'm not trying to get off the, the subject because I could probably go on and on and on about it. But um, eating clean um, has its it has its pitfalls too, I believe. Um, and I I say that just for performance reasons um, because I I didn't take on I don't take on a lot of carbohydrates that I did at this time during race season last year, um, and so I I tend to feel that on the higher end of, uh, let's say my running, you know, my speeds down a little bit because my, my lactic thresholds down a little bit, um, because I'm, I'm not using carbohydrates as my primary fuel source mm -hmm. as much as I did last year. Um, but I don't, I don't get sore, man. Mm -hmm. I just don't. I used to, I used to, when I had processed junky crap in my diet, um, I'd, I'd be sore after a workout or I'd be completely exhausted and need to run and grab my recovery shake and in order just to feel better. Um, I don't get that way anymore. And it's been such a dramatic change that it's, uh, it's really been a game changer for me. That's awesome, man. I, I like that you, I, I, I think I, I don't like saying never, but yeah, for me to give up meat and, and dairy, I, I would admit that that would be very difficult, but um, I, I like the fact that you brought up, there's a difference between, well, there's different types of nutrition, right? There's nutrition yeah. for performance, 
there's nutrition for losing weight. There's nutrition for yep. just overall wellness and health. And sometimes when we read things online and follow things, we can confuse those. And, you know, there's obviously overlap and all of them should include clean eating and, and better, better food choices. But, um, yeah, sometimes a high fat diet would be good in a situation might might be bad in a situation. Same thing for high carbs. So I think that's good for people to one, like what you did that I think is difficult for most people to do is try something like that, where we get stuck in how we do it. And we want to hear that this is the way you have to eat, because I, I'm comfortable with it. And that's how I want to eat. But sometimes you need to, to challenge yourself, try different things, you might notice hey, I feel worse. Like I tried a, a very high fat diet and like kind of the ketogenic, yep. low, very low carbohydrate. And I, maybe I didn't give it enough time, but I felt awful. And it, it just, that extreme didn't work well for me, but I know other people, it works well for them and they do it and they can perform and, and that's great. So it's, it's always knowing, try different things before you just rule something out. Yeah, man, I, uh, I, you know, every different strokes for different folks, and I, I think what what sometimes it, in in our industry, I think what I get what I get a little bit frustrated with is that, uh, you know, there's a a a diet dietary recommendation, and 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 everybody wants to paint a you know broad stroke over the whole world and say that if you do this one thing, whether it's you know increase your fat intake or you know give up carbohydrates or don't eat meat that this is, you know, this is the solution for you when it's just not the case. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, you know, especially, you know, being a trainer and a coach, we have to meet their, our clients where they're at. Um, and you are exactly right. I mean, there are, there are ways to eat for performance. There are ways to eat for fat loss, weight loss. Um, and, and, and it's, and it's such a revolving door, um, that, you know, as trainers, we need to do our job and due diligence to find out what works for our client. It may be a paleo diet. It may be a ketogenic diet. It might be a plant-based diet. But the one thing that I do know for certain is that eliminating processed foods and high fruit fructose corn syrup, all that stuff, it, it does benefit you uh, substantially. And it's also going to help with, with recovery because, you know, when our body's inflamed and when we have less inflammation, we have better sleep. And I think that sleep is sometimes the thing that, that probably as far as training goes for OCR is probably the thing that that needs to get talked about a little bit more, mm -hmm. you know, no, I know you're an advocate of, of recovery. Um, and, uh, I think that sometimes sleep is, is the very overlooked, uh, tool in our toolbox, um, that makes a difference in performance. Absolutely. And that kind of trumps everything. Uh, even nutrition sometimes if, if the sleep's bad, try and make yeah. a good, a good, uh, nutrition choice when you're, <laughs> yeah, you know, right. so it's like, if that's not good, you're, you're just setting yourself up for, for a bad situation. Um, well, I know we're, we're running out of time here, but I do want to, one, one last question I wanted to ask you, uh, kind of pertaining to all this, before we started recording, you were talking, you're kind of little secret or hack or whatever you want to call it, that you are a big fan of uh, post-workout, post-race. So I just want to yep. see if you'd share kind of your, your secret tip that, that you're a big fan of. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's magnesium. Um, you know, I, I think it's, 
and the reason I like magnesium is is you know it's portable um, and 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 I'm not talking about ingesting uh, a magnesium you know supplement in a, in a pill form. Uh, I'm talking about magnesium spray um, and there has you know magnesium is the most abundant mineral in the body and you know, like I told you before, we lose it through stress, anxiety, lack of sleep, poor nutrition, oxidative stress, exercise. And um, one of the the best things that I have done for my body after a long, you know, three-hour race has been to just lather myself with magnesium um, and because it, it, re, it replenishes the most abundant mineral in the the body and we the reason i use a spray is because it's you know wipe it into your skin which is the biggest organ so the you know the availability of it you know saturating the body and getting a, an effect immediately is there um i also use it you know uh at night um if i've got some tight hamstrings um i'll, I'll ask the wife hey i, I need to i need to and in an oil change, give me give me some magnesium. Rub them on the rub them on the hamstrings, um, and it'll knock me out in in 20 seconds flat. Awesome. So it's 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 a great it's a great one. And a brand I use is um, a brand called Ancient Minerals. All right, cool. And I'll I'll uh, look that up too and put a put a link in so people can check that out if uh, they want to play around with it and uh, get a massage before they go to bed. Awesome. (laughs) Um, All right. uh, Before we sign off, I know you're working hard on a new website coming up, Boss Man Fitness. Uh, Just tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, Boss Man Fitness uh, is is been uh, is we're we're gonna probably release it next week. Um, It'll be live uh, next week, and with the website, uh, you're gonna see uh, race training plans, um, pretty economical. Um, there are, you know, there are other companies out there that, that, that sell race training plans. Um, what we wanted to do was, um, make it a little bit more, you know, I think we talked about this with nutrition, but we wanted to make it where it was more applicable to real life scenarios, understanding that not everybody has access to a gym or not everybody has access to ropes and rigs and and maybe not mountains and stuff like that. So in the in the race training plans, you're going to see video content supporting uh, the workouts. You're going to see mobility exercises supported by video content. Um, there'll be nutritional options in there. So it's kind of a comprehensive uh, training plan to, to serve the masses. Um, you know, I mean, obviously if, if, if you're an elite athlete, you're probably more than likely, you know, you, you work with a coach one-on-one, um, when you're at that level. Um, but we wanted to, you know, we wanted to, to go to give a solution that everybody can use, but not just looking at a plan. Here's a PDF and, you know, go, go try to understand what the plan says but actually giving you step-by-step instructions. So we're, we've, we've kind of overdid it and over-delivered, I hope, nice. um, but which is, which is I'm okay with um, because hopefully that, that um, you know, picks up momentum and, and word of mouth spreads good. 
Awesome. And uh, and I believe you have a, a free gift for our listeners in there. Yeah, we uh, we, we do. Um, for everybody on the podcast, um, we will, when you go to Boss Man Fitness, um, you will get to opt in to a uh, to, to download a free uh, quick start training guide. Um, I take you uh, through a two-week training guide uh, that you can use um, that talks about running distances um, and, and some other stuff on there. So that's that's for all you guys. Awesome. Uh, so again, I'll, I'll, I'll put the link in our show notes and uh, our listeners can check that out. So awesome. Well, well, thank you so much for coming on today, sharing this info and, and just helping our listeners uh, just get a little bit smarter with their training. All right, Mike. It's been a blast, man. All right. We'll, we'll catch you on the course soon. All right. Thanks, man. Well, that will do it for episode 44 of the OCR Underground Show. Big thanks to SGX coach Matt Boback for sharing his insights into training, nutrition strategies, and other recovery strategies. Don't forget, you can get his special gift that he's offering to you guys uh, by going to the show notes at www.ocrunderground.com episode 44. And also want to thank our sponsors, Designer Protein. Uh, you can check out all of their protein and other products at designerprotein.com. Don't forget to use code SDPREMIER20. You can get 20% off your next order there. And also Mobilitas for your mobility needs. If you need some foam rollers or spheres, uh, mobility floss, they have some great products there as well. You can check out your hurt.com and check out all their mobility tools. And don't forget, for the next week, you can get my new Unbreakable Warrior program for just $37. Uh, just $37 to help make 2018 your best year yet uh, for your best race performance and more importantly staying as injury free as possible through the season so again check out the show notes uh, to pick up a copy of the unbreakable warrior Uh, that's it for now until next time you guys keep training smarter